who at sundry times and, and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the first three verses of the book of Hebrews. I'm really grateful to be here before all of you today. I'm, I'm thankful for a lot of things right now. I'm so thankful for my brother being here, Cole and his family. I'm grateful for all the new babies in the congregation and babies on the way. I'm grateful for the time of year, the changing of the leaves, the beauty in the natural landscape. There's a lot to be thankful for today. In this book of Hebrews, my Bible says it's by Paul. Scholars are sort of in conflict about who really authored this book. It's irrelevant to our purposes. But the book of Hebrews was written to the early Hebrew Christians who came out of the, the Jewish faith. Like Christ himself, who was a Jew, and most of his apostles who were Jews. And it starts with the word God, a three-letter word. And it says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners, which means at various times and various ways, has spoke to us in the past by the prophets. And it says that in these last days he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed the heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, by himself purged our sins. There's so much in these three verses. When you start studying scripture and start listening to biblical lectures and expositional preaching, one of the Things that you're told to study are the attributes of God. And in these three verses, there's made reference many attributes, but three in particular I want to call out. The first one is that God is a God of creation. It says that Christ himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of majesty, and that he upholds all things by the word of his power. All things are upheld by God. They were created by God and they're upheld by God. This is a creative God that we worship, a creative God who made all things. When we are creative, when we build things, when we fix things, when we repair things, we are conforming to the image of Christ, our Lord and Savior. There's something divine in the creative act and it is a blessing for us all to participate in that. You know, in the modern day, Christians are often accused of being sexist. I think that that's not at all true. I think that we, we, we pay respect, we pay homage to the females among us for their participation in the creative act. It's a divine calling to participate in the creative act, the creation of a person. What a special role that is given to the female. 
So we know that God is creative. What else is he? What else can we glean from this passage about God? We know that he speaks to us. He spake in times past to the fathers through the prophets. He's articulate. God explains things. He educates us. He instructs us. God spoke to Adam. He spoke to Eve. He spoke to David and Moses and Isaiah and Ezekiel. He spoke to Daniel through dreams. He's a God of communication. Many will tell you that the United States was founded by deists. And deists believe that God made the world and then was a hands-off God. That's not what scripture tells us. Scripture tells us that God is a God in communication, in relationship with his creation. So God is creative. God is articulate. And finally, the last attribute of God that I want to point out here is God is redemptive. He by himself, on his own, without any help, purges our sins. What does it mean to be redemptive? If you have a coupon and you redeem the coupon... What are you doing? You're making use of it. If we're not redeemed, then we're useless. We are useless until redeemed. We are useless until made instruments of God. And I want to explore a little bit of these concepts. Creation is sort of an obvious one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We know that God created all things. God speaks to Job, and he says... Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. In the process of speaking to us, God reveals his creative nature. God reveals his creative nature, and at the same time, he reveals his redemptive nature. God speaks to Job after all of the trials, after, after Satan had taken everything from Job. He had taken his health, his family, his wealth, all things. And finally, in chapter 38 of Job, God is responding to Job's pleas, saying, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? He's saying, I'm creative. I am the source of all creativity. I am the source of all things. And where were you when I was founding the earth? Declare if you have understanding. And he declares not because we cannot understand God. Not in totality. We can only understand a part of God. And we understand him through this act of speaking, through this act of creativity, through this act of redemption, the Lord redeems his people. He redeemed Moses. When Moses was driven into the wilderness, the Lord came to him in the form of a burning bush, and he made use of Moses to free the enslaved Jews from the tyranny of Egypt. Even the children of God who did not obey are often redeemed of the Lord. If you turn to Chronicles chapter 33, we have the son of Hezekiah, Manasseh, who was a, it says right in the second verse here, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign and reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem, but he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Like the abominations of the heathen, he built the high places where they would worship the pagan gods. He reared up altars for Balaam and made groves and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He built altars in the house of the Lord. He built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts. He's building, he observed times and used enchantments and used witchcraft and dealt with a familiar spirit. Doesn't that sound like the modern day? Don't we build altars to everything but God? I'm constantly reminded of this. Even Christ was sent into the wilderness. Even Christ was taken into bondage 
and beaten and scourged. This is the pattern of a Christian life. We're given a call. We're called to be children of God. And we deny that call. We reject that call out of our sinful nature. And the Lord deals with us and he redeems us. He makes use of us. And in making use of us, he glorifies himself. Elder Aquino in his prayer mentioned liberation from bondage. We are in bondage to sin. Sin is the slave master unless we are in bondage to Christ. And the Hebrews knew this. The Hebrews didn't have to be convinced of the existence of God. They didn't need to be convinced of the goodness of God. When Paul, presumably, or whoever is the author of Hebrews, wrote to the Hebrews, the Hebrew Christians, he didn't bother to explain God. He just said, God has in the past spoken to us through the prophets. There was no uh, apologia for God. They knew. They were coming from the same culture, the same place. Today, you have a 50-50 shot of coming into a conversation with someone and having the same basis, the same foundation, the same, axiom, the same axioms, the same presuppositions. And so the question, I think, is how do we conform to the image of Christ? How do we not reject his grace? How do we, how, how can we be creative? How can we speak the truth? How can we uh, be redeemed? And it's all through the sovereign grace of God we know this, and we also know that there is agency. We have agency. The first thing that happens in the Bible is human beings make a choice to disobey God. And that choice is important. We all have choices to make every day. And it's not always clear what the delineation is between the, the hand of God, the hand of the Almighty, moving us in a direction, and us denying sin. But it is clear that when we do good, it is because of the grace of God, and we can thank God for it. The good we do is a blessing. Another instance of bondage is the prodigal son. The prodigal son, with his older brother, he takes his inheritance and he goes and wastes it away. This is near and dear to my heart. I, I've got family here that could tell you exactly, or to at least some degree, the extent of my transgressions. And you know, it'll all come to light either way, so I hope they won't. But like the prodigal son, we run away from God. Like Jonah, we run away from God. And it is only when we choose obedience that the Lord redeems us. Or perhaps only when we are redeemed that we choose obedience. I wanted to just explore some of these attributes. We spoke about Hebrews 1 yesterday in New York City. And we spoke about it um, from the perspective of being in New York City where more than 10% of the population is Jewish. We come with a common spiritual framework. We understand the monotheistic tradition. We understand that there are angels and demons and there is a spiritual war constantly at, in play. We understand that demons trick us. We understand that Satan came to Eve and said, thou surely wilt not die, but we will die because of that sin, because of our sin. I don't want to take up too much time today. I wanted to explore these attributes of God. I wanted to, you know, we're not in New York City. Hartford County, Maryland is not 10% Jewish. 
speaking, the chances of running into a Jew in Harford County are about as good as running into a Muslim. Um, more likely, we are going to run into secular folks, people who don't believe in angels and demons. I believe in angels and demons because I see them. I see the demons at work in the world today. I see how they disfigure people, how they denigrate the human spirit, how they denigrate the human body, the temple that God, the, the world here that God made. It, Psalm 19 says it. His creation speaks to his glory. It is evidence of his power. And the culture today denigrates that by destroying the beautiful things that he has made, by uh, warping them. And we are in bondage to sin individually, but we're in bondage, in bondage to sin as a culture. And the only way out of that bondage is by following Christ, obedience to Christ, his sovereign will choosing to redeem us and to use us. I'm going to finish with some lyrics from a song. It's not a hymn. I think it could be, but it's not a hymn. It's a, it's a song that for years and years and years has spoken to me. And I think it will speak to some of you. If you're in bondage to sin of any kind, you know, we're told constantly by the culture that the, the original sin of the United States was slavery. The original sin of all men is slavery. The original sin of all men is slavery to sin. Slavery to our own pride. When they chose to eat of the fruit of the no tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it was pride that convinced Eve that she could be like God. It was pride that convinced Adam that it was no thing to disobey the Lord. And so when people try to sell you on pride, remember it is the source of all sin. The Roman Catholics have a saying, they call pride the queen of all sin. And I think that that's about right. It cometh before the fall. It leadeth, uh, leadeth us to dark places. So if you find yourself in a state of slavery, remember these lyrics. Old pirates, yes, they rob I, sold I to the merchant ships. Minutes after they took I from the bottomless pit. But my hand was made strong by the hand of the Almighty. We forward in this generation triumphantly. Won't you help to sing these songs of freedom? Because all I ever have is redemption songs. The Lord redeems us. The Lord speaks to us. The Lord made us. And what a tremendous blessing that we can hear that today. Appreciate what Brother Danny's brought forth. And I desire an interest in your prayers the time that we stand before you this morning. In August... Brother David Powell spoke to a group of about 250 young people at the Tyler meeting in Texas. And one of the things that he said, one of the points that he made, had a real uh, tremendous impact upon the way that I think about life. And, and I'll, I'll use, I don't remember everything that he said, but I remember a few things that he said. And I'll, on the points that I want to make, the last one came from Brother David Piles, the fifth one. But he was talking about how that, uh, to a group of young folks, how that he was so thankful that he was living in the generation that he was living in, that he would not trade this generation for any other generation. Now, I have to tell you, I've been guilty, uh, personally, 
of thinking back and letting my mind travel back to even earlier times that I remember. And sometimes I find myself longing for those days or longing to live in a different era or a different time, especially when you look around and we become discouraged with all of the challenges and discouragement and sin that's around us. We long for what's referred to as the good old days. Now, I also remember my grandmother telling me about the good old days when they came up in the Depression and they didn't hardly have enough food to eat and times were hard and times were difficult and they didn't know if it would ever be any better. So the good old days weren't always that good. But I want to give you five things to consider that would make you at least ponder about the time in which you're living in right now. And hopefully you'll be encouraged when we get through to consider at least one or more of these points that will help you at least be satisfied and maybe excited about the time that you're living in right now. The first one in Psalm chapter 31, the psalmist says, but I trusted in thee, O Lord, I said, thou art my God. David says, my times are in thy hand. Do you know that's good times, bad times? That's the early days and the latter days. All of our times are in God's hand. There's not anything that we experience, there's not anything that we encounter that God is surprised about. There's also not anything that we would experience, any trouble or trial or difficulty that's bigger than God. God knows about it and God cares. And God is able to help us in the midst of those times. A lot of folks have difficult times. God is there for those difficult times as well as the good times. David said, my times are in thy hand. And then he says right here, deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me. And then David, and it's almost a prayer. It says, make thy face to shine upon thy servant. You know, it's real encouraging when you can feel that the Lord is shining his face upon you. When you can sense and you can feel the presence of the Lord. It encourages you, it strengthens you, and it helps you overcome despair. He says, make thy face to shine upon thy servant. And then he says, save me for thy mercy's sake. Now, David wasn't talking about right here that asking the Lord to save him in an eternal sense. David was saying, Lord, I need your help and I need it right now and I need it today. And would you help me and would you deliver me? Not because I'm deserving, not because I'm worthy, not because I've earned it. But would you help me, Lord, because of your mercy's sake? So 
as we look in uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, he says, before the Lord says unto Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. He says, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet. He said, Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew you. Let's go over to Ephesians to emphasize this point a little bit more. Ephesians chapter 1. We'll go down and we'll start with verse 3. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as he hath chosen us. We hear a lot about choosing God. Right here we're taught by the Apostle Paul that God first chose us. When did he do it? He says, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. God chose you in Christ before the world was. Well, how much did we have to participate in that? We were very passive in that. God chose us in him from before the foundation of the world. And he says that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. It goes on down. Verse five says, having predestinated or predetermined our destiny, he having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. And he says he did it for this purpose, according to the good pleasure. Now, we get a lot of pleasure out of it, but he didn't do it according to our good pleasure. He says he did it according to the good pleasure of his will. God does things the way he does because God is completely sovereign. God could have chosen to have you and I be born 500 years ago or 200 years ago. But God, who knew you from before the foundation of the world... He knew exactly when you would be formed. He knew you from before you were born in your mother's womb. God knew you as he was creating you in your mother's womb. And God, who is sovereign, picked the very time and the age for you to live in. Did you know that if there was no other reason, if there's not any other reason that we should be not only content but excited about the time in which we're living, not considering everything around us, but the time in which we're living, we ought to be excited about it because this is the time that God wanted us to live. It's not a surprise to God. God is a God of purpose. And when God designs something and when God arranges something, God does it because he is a God of purpose. And can I take it a little bit further? God designed and arranged for you to be here right now in this day and age because God is a God of purpose, but God also has a purpose for you. You're not just here for no reason whatsoever. You're here because God has a purpose for you. So if for no other reason than we should be excited about the age in which we're living, it ought to be because God's sovereign and this is what God chose for us.
We ought to be excited about that. The second one. Luke, do you have access to a phone that has a flashlight on it or a light on it? How many folks have a, a light on their phone? We've got several. Great, great. Luke, would you turn that light on and come up here just a minute? I think it'll help make a point. So if you'll turn it on, Luke, and kind of shine it toward the... Uh, you can shine it toward the ceiling if you want. You can shine it up on the wall. It's not can, very good it's, light. It, it's not very bright. Can anybody see the light that, uh, that Luke has? If he points it right at you, you might be able to see the light that, that Luke has. Dif- with great difficulty. But I tell you what, I'm amazed that these little phones have such bright lights on them. Thanks, Luke. Appreciate it. Thanks. I'm amazed that these phones have such bright lights, but you really don't appreciate the brightness of these phones at all until you're in the dark. Now, I don't like to be in the dark. If you come to my house and it's even lit up at night, I mean, I like, I like lights. But here's reason number two. Reason number two. I don't think that anybody would deny that we're living in difficult times. We're living in spiritually dark times. You're called and you're chosen to be children of light. He tells us right here in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 5. He says, ye are the salt of the earth. Ye are, he says, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Says it's good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. But he also says in verse 15 and 16, and 14, 15, 16, he says, ye. And I understand he's talking to the disciples right here. But he's also talking, he's talking to the disciples and the followers of Christ uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, but he's also talking to you and I as well. And this charge that was given to them is given to you and I as well. And here's what he says. Ye are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. Probably Young folks don't even know what a bushel basket is now, but, uh, but it's a big container uh, it, it, that, that, that would cover it up where no one could see it. And he says, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but they hold the candlestick where it giveth light unto all that are in the house. And then here is the charge for every one of us right here. He says, let your light Your light comes from God. You can't constitute that light. You can't generate that light. That light comes from God. And it's interesting right here that he says, let your light. Did you know that everybody's light? You've heard that song. uh, Probably Jimmy, John and Matthew know it. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Well, he says this little light. Even John knows it back there. Yes, sir. 
This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Your light is not the same as everybody else's. It's the Spirit of God manifesting itself through you. But it may be uh, to different degrees. Your light is specific to you. And he says right here, let your light, not somebody else's light, not your parents' light, not your neighbor's light, not your pastor's light. He says, you let your light so shine. God is concerned about you shining the light that he's given you. And he says right here, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. We're to shine those lights, not so that we get the credit, not so that we get the glory, but that God gets the glory. God is the author of that light. God is the giver of that light. God is the power source for that light. And God gets all the glory for that light. Now, I tell you, another good reason for the age in which we're living is as times become darker and darker around us, spiritually speaking, did you know what? Unlike the light that Luke had up here a while ago, you're going to be seen more and more. You're going to have more of, a, an, a, a, of an effect and an impact on those that are around you. So don't be discouraged about the times that you're living in. Look at it as an opportunity that God has caused you to live in this time and he's given you a light and for you to shine it and use it to his glory. And your light's going to be a whole lot more recognized in the dark times. We take for granted, or I do, some of you probably do too, that everybody's heard about Jesus Christ. Most people know about Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, we were in, uh, at the New York meeting. I'm telling you, it's different up there. A lot of things different, but this is one of the things that's different. Sister Tess always, uh, she, Sister Tess Likens, her parents are at Columbia Church. She's in New York. She's always bringing friends. And it's usually people that she meets at work that work with her. And this one young man was there from Boston, and he said to her, they'd been talking about church and fellowship. And I may have told you this, but she said that the, the young man asked her, he said, well, so y'all meet on Saturday? And she said, we do. That, that's the time that we meet up there. That's when the ministers are available. We meet on Saturday. And he said, well, I, I'm visiting this weekend from Boston. I'd like to go to church with you if that's okay. And she said, that'd be great. And uh, he came, and she said she always tells the folks that come what to expect because our service is a little bit different. It's real, real simple. It doesn't have a, many add-ons, and, and it's pretty simple. And she said, I didn't want them to be surprised because it is different from what most people, if they've been to um, other churches. And she said, I told them it's just a very basic singing, praying, preaching, fellowship. And so this young man, maybe late 20s, early 30s, came with her. I think his name may have been Garrett, and he came with her. And he seemed like he really enjoyed the song service. He really enjoyed the fellowship. He seemed like he was attentive to the message that was preached. And then as he left, before he got on the train to head back to Boston, she said, well, any questions or thoughts you have about the service? He said, well, I, I really enjoyed it. <coughs> It was really good. But there sure was a whole lot said about this man named Jesus. It was totally foreign to him. 
as times get darker, God has caused you and chosen you to live in this day and time, and he's given you a light to shine. And it'll be picked up more and more in darker times. So we should look at it as an opportunity to shine the light that God's given us. The next one that I'll mention, and uh, just want to hit these other three really, really quick. I believe that we have good evidence that, that when God blesses us with his spirit, he also equips us in many, many ways. He says uh, in Psalm chapter 139, verse 15, well, verse 14, he says, I will praise thee for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in the secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book, all my members were written, which in contingence were fashioned, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they're more in number than the sand. When I'm awake, I am still with thee. He said, how precious are your thoughts toward me. How great is your creation. He said, when I think about your thoughts and your creation toward me, David's saying, he says, if I should count all of those blessings, he says, they're more than the number of of the sand and he says and by the way when I wake I'm still with you when God made you God gives you unique and special talents and abilities we can go over to Matthew chapter 25 verse 15 and not only do we see right there a list of talents that's given by the master But he also gives us the instruction that we're to use those talents that he's given us. God has given each one of us, if we're a child of the king, special talents and abilities. Bray, your gifts are different than my gifts. My gifts are different from yours. My gifts are different from Tyler's or Brother Danny's or Brother Luke's. God, God specifically designs, and he uses this term, he fashions you. He makes you and he blesses you. Lord, you've got some mighty special gifts. You sure do. And so does uh, uh, Adeline and Juliet. Your gifts are unique and they're very, very special. And God has specifically given your gifts To you. Now you can run over to Matthew chapter 25 and you can see the importance of utilizing those gifts that God has given you. The principle there is this that if you want to keep the gifts that God's given you, do you know how to keep the gifts that God's given you? Anybody know? 
That's exactly right. If you want to keep the gifts that God has given you, the way you keep the gifts that God's given you is you use those gifts. God is a God of purpose and God is a, a, a God gives you gifts to be used. And if you don't use them, Matthew 25 gives us the example right here that if you don't use those gifts, God will take those gifts and give them to somebody that will use those gifts. Matthew chapter 25, he gave one person one, one person two, one person five. And when he came back for a reckoning, when he came back to reconcile or to reckon, it says that the one that had one gift, he was afraid he'd lose it and he hid that gift. The one that had two gifts, he used it. And when he came back, God said, you've used the gifts that I've given you. I'm going to give you two more gifts. And then the individual that had five gifts, the individual that had five gifts, he used those gifts. And when the master came back, he says, you used those five gifts that I gave you, those five talents. And he said, I'm going to give you five more talents. So if you want to have more talents, you use the ones that God's given you. Now, I think this is real interesting right here. But the one that had one talent and didn't use it, God took that one talent from the one that had one talent and didn't use it. You know who he gave it to? He gave it to the individual that had ten talents. He could have given it to anybody. But he gave it to the individual that's going to use it. Did you know that another reason to be excited about the age in which you're living in right now is because God has given you special talents to help you to be able to minister and utilize them in this day and time. As Mordecai said to Esther when she had an audience before the king, he said to Esther, who knoweth but what God has you here right now for such a time as this. Now, I'm not an absoluter, but I'll tell you what, I believe that God's in charge and God's in control. And I, got, I believe God has you here for a reason and a purpose. And you're here right now for a purpose. And you take the gifts that God's given you and you use them to his glory. And he just might give you, I mean, it'd be, it'd be contrary to the scriptures if he didn't bless you and give you some more gifts. You, my, my old pastor that's now with the Lord, he wasn't that old. He died at 64, but he's with the Lord now. He said, he just, he just cut through all the chase. And he said, you better lose it before you use it. That's just the bottom line. So... Another reason to be thankful for the time in which you're living is God has equipped you with gifts to utilize in this day and time, in the settings and situations that you're in, to honor him and to bless you. That's how gifts work. The next one that, that I'll touch on, and then we'll just really get, wrap this up in just a couple of minutes. The next one, here, there's many, many more, but here's, uh, here's another one right here that's really, really, really good. Hebrews chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which thus so easily beset us, and let us run with patience, with, right, with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He says the great cloud of witnesses. You know what? I'm really thankful. I'm, I'm thankful that I lived in the New Testament times. I'm thankful that it wasn't under the law, but it's under grace. I'm thankful that I have the knowledge. I'm thankful in the day in which I live that I have the knowledge through God's word about Jesus Christ, not just coming, but Jesus Christ has come 
and he has paid the price for my sins. And Jesus Christ did arise, and he's on the right hand of the Father. If I'd lived in the Old Testament times, I could have only looked toward that coming. I can look back upon that, and I can see that God has blessed through Jesus Christ and what he has done. I'm thankful also, and I know this is referring to chapter 11, the great cloud of witnesses. But I tell you what, I'm thankful for the great cloud of witnesses that God has put in my life. Many of them who have gone on to be with the Lord. Uh, Elder Compton, uh, my pastor, Elder George Johnson, my grandparents, the great blessing that they were to me. And the ones that God has put in my life that have made a difference in my life and have given me uh, uh, zeal and encouragement. I'm thankful for those folks that God's put in my life. And if I'd lived 100 years ago, I wouldn't have known those folks. Sister Laura. I mean, I had to live in this generation to know Sister Laura. That's great blessing and benefit. All those faithful witnesses that God has put in our life in this day and time, we would not have had if we lived 100 years ago, 200 years ago. So for that reason, I'm thankful for the time in which we're living. Now, I borrow this from my good friend, David Piles. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Brother David said, I'm so thankful for the day and age in which we're living in because it may very well be that this is the generation or this is the age that the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to take us home. We've been taught... And it's been described that we're living in the last days. No doubt, we're closer to the last times than we were a hundred years ago. Brother David said he had done an in-depth study about the signs that point to the last days. And he said that as he began to study the scriptures, he became more and more convinced that were close to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, in his writings, gave the indication that he thought that it just might be that the Lord would return in his day and time. And Paul said, and it, it encouraged Paul, and it should encourage us, that Paul said that I live my life looking not on the things of this world, He told us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, set your affection on things above and not on things of the world. The apostle Paul was in jail for preaching the gospel. He was beaten. He was stoned. He had folks forsake him. In fact, he said one time, he said, All men have forsook me. But he said, The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. And he said, He thought that it just might be that he might be an eyewitness to the return of the Lord. The greatest event of all time, aside from the resurrection of Christ, will be the day, we sing the song, what a day that will be, will be the day when, and God already knows when it is, God knows what day it is, God knows what time it's going to be, It's not going to be a surprise to God. 
I'm not going to cause it to happen if I start the lawnmower engine one too many times or if I use a can of hairspray one too many times. Not going to surprise God. When God has chosen and appointed that he's going to return to take his people home and when the skies are going to burst open and it says that the Lord himself will come back for his people. That's going to be the greatest event of all time. Here's how he says it's going to happen. I use this at funerals a lot of times, but it's really good for those that are alive. I love this portion right here. He says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. There's clearly a difference between those that have a hope in Christ, a hope in resurrection, and those that don't when they lose loved ones along the way. He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. He's talking about those that are in the graves. And then this is what I love. The next three verses right here. This is so rich. I believe this is exactly how it's going to take place. He says, for the Lord himself. He's not going to send somebody else after us. God could send angels. God could send disciples. God is coming himself for us. And he says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. Where is the Lord right now? Where is Jesus Christ? He's in heaven. But it says that, that he's going to descend from heaven with a shout. You know, it's, it's a shout of victory. It surely is. He says, the Lord's going to descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. Do you know what? For God and for us, it's going to be a time of celebration. It is. For the ungodly and the wicked, it's not a time of celebration. They're going to cry out and want the rocks to fall upon them. Those that know not God. But if you know God, and you love God, and you love the Lord, and you're looking forward to His return, it's going to be a happy day for you. It is. He says, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. I think if we're having church right here at Mount Carmel, if we're having church when the Lord comes back, I believe we'll be able to look out across this little ravine right here, and I believe we'll be able to see the, the graves burst forth and the people of God are going to be called forth out of the grave. I believe we'll be able to see it. I mean, that's what he says right here. I tend to believe it. He says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then he says, we which are alive and remain. If we're here, if we're here worshiping God, it says, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now he says, I know it's good for funerals because he says right here, wherefore comfort one another with these words. It, it is a great message of comfort. But I tell you, if I'd have lived a generation or two ago and passed off the scene, then there would be, I wouldn't have this possible opportunity of being here when the Lord comes back. I don't believe it's far-fetched to think that very likely in our life when the Lord has 
born his last elect child of God. When God is totally fed up with sin. When his whole family is going to be complete. He's going to come back and he's going to take us home. Some folks say that they know. In fact, I've heard some on the radio say that they knew when the Lord was coming back. Brother Sonny Powell used to say, if somebody tells me they know exactly the day that the Lord's coming back, he said, I'm pretty sure that's not the day that he's coming back. Because he said, God says no man knows when he's coming back. God hadn't revealed that to anybody, but he has revealed the signs of the times. And the signs of the times point toward the return of the Lord. And it just may be that the Lord will come back in our lifetime. And I tell you what, that in itself is reason enough to be thankful that you're here right now in the age that you're living. So number one, be content and be excited because God is sovereign and God chose you to be here in this time, in this age. Number two, as times get darker, don't be discouraged, but use that as an opportunity to shine the lights that God's given you. Number three, God has given you specific talents to utilize In this day and time, in this generation, with this group of people, God has given you special talents and abilities. Number four, be thankful for those, those cloud of witnesses, those faithful witnesses that have passed your way, that have made a difference in your life that that you've known. And number five, the best of all, is that this just might be the age. It might be the day or the generation that the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to take us home. The greatest event of all time. What a day that will be. We're glad you've been able to listen to this special podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 10.30 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.